welcome to another edition of the Fact Checker Podcast. My name is Marissa Payne. I'm the Gazette's Cedar Rapids government reporter. I'm John Steppi. I'm the Gazette's business reporter. I'm Michaela Ram. I cover healthcare. And I'm Erin Jordan. I'm an investigative reporter. It's an exciting time in politics. We have um, at the state level, we're approaching the funnel deadline. And um, at the federal level, we're discussing another round of COVID relief, which is exactly what the ad we're looking at today. Um, um, that makes some claims about the latest proposal there. Um, so Iowa's third district representative, Cindy Axney, who is now the state's lone Democrat in Congress, has come under scrutiny for her support of the White House's $1.9 trillion COVID relief proposal, uh, which is called the American Rescue Plan. A digital ad paid for by the American Action Network, which is a conservative issue advocacy group, uh, recently urged constituents in targeted Democrat congressional districts including Cindy Axney's, uh, to tell their representatives to oppose this aid package. Uh, and that was before the House vote that took place um, last Saturday. Um, so we looked into three claims that the ad makes. Um, the first claim is that it is a blue state bailout. Um, a review of analysis from the Tax Foundation, which is a Washington, D.C.-based think tank that studies tax policy at the state and the federal level, Uh, shows that 23 states with Republican control of both the governor's seat and uh, their respective legislatures will receive about $121.4 billion under this proposal, while uh, 15 blue states and uh, Washington, D.C. will receive about $130.1 billion. And then 11 states with split control of the governor's seat and the legislature would receive about $6.4 billion. and then even adjusted for population, the um, I took a look at the analysis, and that shows that um, blue states would get more aid and would receive an average of $1,278 per capita, while red states, red states on average would get $1,017, and states with split control would get $1,041 per capita. Um, and... This has become such an issue because Republicans argue that taxpayer dollars shouldn't be going toward states that have long mismanaged their budgets and, um, you know, shouldn't essentially bail out blue states for policies such as shutdowns that they say um, have led to higher unemployment and steep revenue declines. Um, So 10 blue states in Washington, D.C. reported a revenue loss in 2020. Um, you know, amid the fight with, uh, you know, curbing the spread of COVID-19. And so did 13 red states and four split states, according to this tax foundation analysis. Uh, so if this this bill, if it passes, um, would send aid to all states, whether or not they lost revenue. Um, and the, f- the formula for allocating funding takes into account each state's share of national unemployed workers. And... Um, for the red states, uh, the the average unemployment rate for those states is 5.03%. Uh, for blue states, it's 7.6%, um, or for blue states in D.C., and then it's 6.09% for split states, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, so is this a bailout for blue states? Um, on average, it, it is true that these governments lost less revenue, but have higher unemployment rates and do benefit the most um, under this proposal on many accounts. Um, But the funds are not just for city and state 
had, you know, for city and state governments to kind of line their coffers. Um, it's intended to go toward keeping people employed and providing other services, helping roll out vaccines and whatnot in these different areas. Um, and red states, too, um, you know, as that data shows, they they've also lost revenue, some of them, and also have unemployed workers, and they would also receive funds from this bill. So I gave that a B since it is, you know, true that blue states are, you know, benefiting a bit more. Um, but, you know, the red states are also benefiting too. So it's not like, you know, one side's losing and the other side's taking it all. Um, the second claims that the proposal doesn't reopen schools and the, the bill would provide nearly $128.6 billion to K-12 schools um, which would be available for them to use through September 30th, 2023 uh, for COVID-19 relief. And this provides funds for school facility repairs and improvements to enable operation of schools to reduce risk of virus transmission and exposure to environmental health hazards um, and for schools to address learning loss from virtual learning. Uh, this includes things such as improving ventilation systems, providing sanitation supplies, and promoting other public health protocols like social distancing and mask wearing in accordance with uh, CDC guidance, um, according to the text of the bill. And uh, Republicans have looked to tie funding from this bill directly to requirements um, that schools return to full in-person learning um, because re research shows that, you know, it's helpful for children's mental health to be in the classroom and also, um, you know, greatly improves their learning outcomes to be in the classroom and that there's been a lot uh, that's kind of been lost with not being in the class. Um, and it's it's true that Democrats uh, struck down an amendment uh, that would prohibit K-12 schools whose teachers have been vaccinated from receiving funds if they do not return to in-person instruction. And that was in a, a party line vote. Um, but it's untrue that the bill would not um, help reopen schools because, the, you know, the text states that the funding is supposed to enable an operation of schools and provides funds that education groups say are needed to do so safely and to make up for learning gaps in the long run. Um, and I also wanted to clarify that, you know, it's not, it, it almost might seem that there's kind of a problem where, you know, every student in America is, you know, learning from behind their computer screens at home. So, um, there's a company called Burbio that tracks school reopening plans nationwide. And, uh, the data that was available there shows that by March 1st, 44% or 44.7% of K through 12 students were attending school in person every day. And another 27.8% were learning with some in-person and some virtual instruction. And their data is cited by the Associated Press and PolitiFact, um, you know, those are some of the news orgs that use their data. Um, so, you know, there is already a lot of in-person learning going on. So this plan is intended to help, you know, just keep that going and make it more um, more feasible for schools to open safely. Um, so I gave that a C. And then finally, the, the third claim that the bill provides tax dollars to illegal immigrants. Uh, the text of the bill states that individuals who are eligible to receive $1,400 stimulus checks do not include any non-resident alien individual. Uh, however, the bill also expands eligibility to dependents of other taxpayers so that checks could go to mixed status households where there's one pair, at least one parent who's an undocumented immigrant 
even though the child uh, may not be. Uh, so the White House uh, did confirm support for mixed status families receiving stimulus money when they unveiled the proposal um, in January. And uh, it's, it's worth noting, though, that this isn't new to Biden administration's proposal because um, the Federal CARES Act that was passed last March, uh, that excluded mixed, mixed status families. Um, but the $900 billion stimulus package that President Trump signed before leaving office uh, included a provision similar to the one in this American Rescue Plan uh, to include dependents. So I gave that claim a B. So, yeah, look forward to hearing your guys' thoughts and our, our debate over these grades. Well, I think um, I really I really appreciate all the detail you've included. Lots of good context on all the claims, and um, I, I agree with the evidence you've provided. I guess I don't. This is one where I don't see eye to eye with you on the grades, and that's okay because that's what we do here. Um, but I think so. On the first claim um, that it's a blue state bailout. I feel like the evidence you've provided shows that it's bailing out all the states. I mean, it's, um, and, you know, I, I just don't see, I mean, yeah, okay, it's bailing out blue states, but that completely leaves out that it's supporting all the states. So I, I think that deserves a, a, a downgrade. I would give that a D. Um, but, you know, I may not be considering some of these nuances that I should. And then on claim two, doesn't reopen schools. Um, the bill gives money to help schools reopen, but it doesn't require the districts to reopen. So I kind of I kind of see it as more true than false. Um, so I guess on claim two, I would give a maybe a B on that one. But, um, and then on the last claim on claim three, I agree with you on, on, on the grade for B. So, you know, I'll leave it open. We can get into more of the details here. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Cause I, I was also really wrestling with the grades on this one. Cause you know, if you kind of give more weight to one thing, uh, than another thing, um, you know, we, we might determine that one grade is more fitting. Um, especially with that first one, because I was like, well, you know, all states are getting aid. So, you know, if you take it on its face, it like it, okay, yes, blue states are getting this amount of aid. Um, but it, it seems that in your feedback, you know, you're also giving weight to, well, here are the rest of the states that are um, also getting aid. So like, yes, blue states, but, um, you know, so are these red states and split states are also getting aid. Um, and then as far as the second claim, I was also torn on that too, because I was like, well, I could see the grade going the other way um, if we want to give more weight to the, the kind of accountability piece of it with the GOP amendment, since they were trying to, um, you know, kind of hold states that receive, uh, or schools that receive this funding, hold them accountable for actually reopening schools with this money that's supposed to help them do so. Yeah, that was kind of my thinking, Marissa. I was kind of going back and forth on that second claim too. But, you know, to your point, I think just because it doesn't give 
a directive or, you know, because that it struck that amendment that might have incentivized school districts to actually reopen rather than just taking the funding and, you know, just putting certain precautions in while not allowing 100% in-person school. Um, so I, I maybe see bumping that up to a C, but I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure I agree with you, Aaron, about a B, because I do think there is kind of that argument that could be made that the incent, like the incentive to actually reopen isn't there. Well, you know, the, the funding is there to, to help with that. Um, I guess that's kind of what I'm grappling with at this point, too. Um, I just have no idea why the schools would not reopen. I mean, I, you know, you guys know, and you know, like I have kids and I, if, if all these precautions are in place, educating students in person, as Marissa said, there's ample evidence that it's, it is really important. And kids who are out of school are suffering. And I don't think anyone, any school district would totally remove an online option for families who had like health conditions. So I just don't know why the Democrats are so afraid to put any requirements on this. It's like, it's been politicized so much, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I, I just feel like this should be a higher priority and Democrats are, um, you know, they could have easily put that amendment as part of it, but I'm okay to be overruled. I think that there's a possibility that maybe there are some other details of that amendment that they didn't want to necessarily mean that a school misses out on funding. I think there's that possibility that maybe, okay, with this amendment, um, potentially could a school miss out on the funding because they can't put everything in place to reopen by a certain day or something where I think that, I mean, there could be an argument to be made that maybe, I mean, the Democrats struck that down because it could possibly exclude some schools maybe that are trying to reopen, but um, maybe they have some small issue there. Um, but, I mean, looking at the claim overall there that the proposal, quote, doesn't reopen schools, I mean, I think the C is fair for that just because, I mean, it does take several steps to, I mean, allow schools to get to that reopening point, even though it doesn't go quite as far as, I mean, absolutely saying no funding if you don't have it. Yeah, and it also sounds like uh, teachers' unions and other education advocacy groups, um, you know, I mean, everyone's in agreement that schools should be open, um, but, you know, some of these groups don't necessarily want to just force it open without, you know, seeing more teachers vaccinated or other steps to ensure safety, um, you know, happens first. So, um, you know, I'm not sure with the GOP amendment if there was any sort of timeline that would have been required for that um you know if it, it's like okay we have this vote and then now like you, you have to open back up now um so you, you know taking into account like what people in the education sphere um largely have said about that you know that i could see that that being um you know like a reason that the democrats didn't want to require you know this funding stipulation if if schools are open. Yeah, and definitely to Aaron's point too, this has really been a politicized issue. And so I wonder if it's too a bit of um, 
maybe Democrats saving face. And so they're not known as the party to sort of force schools open and, uh, you know, putting what people feel like maybe putting some people at risk. Um, I feel like that's sort of a balancing act too, that that's happening here with these kind of policies. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, I can, I mean, I can go along with the C on claim two. So what do we think about claim, claim one? Yeah, I thought it was a really good analysis um, that you included, Marissa. I thought this was a really good overarching view of of what this um, quote unquote bailout actually is. It's it doesn't seem like a bailout to me. I don't think that's really the correct term to be used here, especially the blue state bailout, because to Aaron's point, I mean, it's not targeted. Uh, it's it's to every state because every state has felt this challenge. The pandemic didn't just affect blue states more than red states. I, I feel like it's safe to say that every state has been affected. So um, so I would agree that that I think this should be docked um, grade-wise. I, I don't think that it's really kind of fair to say mostly true in this context, especially when they sort of describe it as a blue state bailout. Especially because, I mean, when I hear blue state bailout, I kind of, and I think a lot of people jump to the image of, okay, I mean, they're handing out a big check to Illinois, but, oh, Iowa's a red state. Uh, they don't get any money for that, um, that kind of thing. And that it's going just to the I main budget, I mean, for Illinois and not to actual, I mean, directly to cities, to people who are unemployed, et cetera. So I think that does... That's kind of a different thing than what the blue state bailout, which has a catchy name there, um, really kind of jump or the conclusion that people would jump to from that. Also, you know, there, I mean, there's data showing that most Americans live in cities. And I mean, if you just look even at Chicago, New York, L.A., um, you know, those are all in states that are controlled by Democrats. Um, so, I mean, you could make that argument, too, that this is helping the most Americans. It's just, you know, in these concentrated areas, um, you know, cities tend to be dense. And um, also when you consider that, you know, there's all this data showing how COVID-19 disproportionately affects, um, you know, underrepresented Americans, people of color, women, immigrants, um, those people also tend to live in cities. So um, you could also make the argument that this is a more equitable, though not equal, distribution of the funding. And I'm looking at some of the specific ways you broke this down, which I really appreciate. You said the analysis shows blue states would get an average of $1,278 per capita, while red states would get about 1017 per capita. And that doesn't sound good. Um, but then you think about costs of living um, in, um, you know, at least in the urban areas, would be quite a bit higher. So that, it, to some degree, makes sense. And then you've said you're talking about here the formula um, for this uh, aid. Um, it talks a little bit about how states have been hit economically. And the red states lost more and re will receive um a little bit less, I guess, it, compared to their losses, they're receiving a lower share of those losses. Um, but then you've got also the the formula for unemployed workers, and there's um, 
you know, higher unemployment rate in the blue states. So it's weird because like one, I read one thing and I'm like, okay, this pushes it this other direction. And then I read one and it kind of nudges it back the first direction. But um, I mean, I think at its basic, like it's a blue state bailout is, is at least only half true because right, because it's leaving out all the red states, right. And all the, so, I mean, maybe a C would be fair. Yeah, because at baseline, it's missing context, right? Like, it's sort of a half-truth or leaving half of the story out, um, or at least for not providing a full picture. Yeah, I could see a case for a C, just because I see kind of a little bit of the kernel of truth in terms of the fact that, I mean, blue states are getting a larger amount, but, I mean, as you guys are mentioning, it's missing a I mean, really big piece of context there that, hey, this isn't just bailing out blue states. Um, It's helping people in all 50 states. Yeah, I guess like the question for me would be is like, is this misleading, which would then maybe dock it in my mind to a D. But I mean, I guess you can make that argument for any of these claims that that it's intentionally. But I mean, I guess that's the sort of the point of these kind of ads is to um, make people feel a certain way uh, about whatever candidate or or um, politician it's attacking. So I guess that's just kind of where I am in my mind. But I am good with a C because I think it, that's that's a fair grade um, overall. Yeah, I think if we had pluses and minuses, I'd be making a case for a C minus. I mean, for that reason. But um, I mean, considering that we have only five different grades to choose from. Um, I see a C is kind of the um, as kind of the best fit there. Yeah, we got to commit to a grade. We can't do this this plus or minus or iffy <laughs> kind of <laughs> decision making here. How do you feel about that, Marissa? Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, as John said earlier, there is that kind of kernel of truth to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. It, it seems like John is calling for reform of the fact checker grading system. You know, the, the <laughs> well, if we had pluses and minuses, but since we don't, like, I, I guess this is okay. Well, I mean, Aaron, six months that. into the fact checker, and I'm already causing a revolt here. <laughs> You're shaking it up. Well, Aaron, we used to have that, right? We used to do the pluses and minuses, but if I, I don't remember think so. Oh, didn't we? Okay. No. I'm making it up then. Sorry. I, no, I mean, well, like way back we had, we just called them true, mostly true, half true, mostly false and false. But that we, that was when we were partnered with KCRG and they got in trouble with like um, talking about ads. Like if they gave an ad like a false and it was an ad they were airing on their network, it became challenging. <laughs> oh, so, no. <laughs> we did switch to letter grades. And I think letter grades are good because, you know, people, everyone, everyone had a report card back in the day. Yes. <laughs> Joking aside, I think that we can do without the pluses and minuses, considering that that could get rather detail, very intricate there. But at least we can talk about it. You know, it allows us to know where you're coming from, John. And, you know, it's, yeah. like, it's part of the conversation. 
So, Marissa, like, so if we're looking at, like, a, if I have this right, a C on claim one, a C on claim two, that just leaves us with claim three. I, I like a B for that one. I think that's good. Yeah, I would agree. Honestly, we we spent most of our time on claim one and two, but I don't really have anything to say about claim three. I think that was that was pretty straightforward and you did a good job with that. So I would agree with a B. Yeah, I agree as well. Okay. Yeah, and there was I don't know, there the information that was provided to me, there was also some information about like a health insurance um like a program that would basically allow eighty five percent of premiums through um through COBRA to be paid, but I thought that got a little thorny because, um, I mean, th there are debates about whether undocumented immigrants even, um, you know, how many take advantage of that coverage or not take advantage, but, um, you know, are beneficiaries of that coverage. Um, and then I was like, well, if we look at this one program, like we could also look at any other number of programs in this bill and say, like, well, undocumented immigrants use this service, so isn't that technically giving funding to them? So I, I left that information out of it because I just thought it got a little thorny and that there's not even enough data out there um, to explore that. Um, so, yeah, that's why I just limited it to uh, looking at the stimulus checks. That makes sense to me. I mean, these are three pretty substantial claims, too. Yeah, I agree as well. Well, and I was just going to mention for our listeners here, we had talked a little bit about potential claims for next week. Um, and one that we're going to look into to see if it meets our criteria is um, surrounding a bill at the state house that would lower the penalties for um, possessing small amounts of marijuana. Um, Senator Joe Bolcom of Iowa City had said there were 4,355 marijuana convictions in 2020. Um, and we thought we'd look into that and see if it meets our criteria, um, which it looks like it probably would just on the surface of that. And, um, I don't think we've ever checked Joe Bolcom. So this is, it's good. It's good to mix it up. Add that one to the fact checker record books. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, we're always looking for more claims to check. So, um, you can email us at someone can can someone provide the email who remembers our email factchecker at the gazette.com <laughs> thanks john um yeah, no so problem with any uh, <laughs> check that you hear um or see in ads or are hearing in the legislature or from our national politicians um or about iowa made by national politicians um but yeah otherwise i think that's a wrap for us today um our podcasts are produced by Stephen Colbert, edited by Craig Jamulis, and our music is Lobby Time by Kevin McLeod. I'm Marissa Payne. I'm John Steppy. I'm Michaela Ram. And I'm Erin Jordan. Till next time, fact check you later.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.